I'm excited about 2018. You know, I, I just have a good feeling about this year. I, I, I look forward and <clears throat> I have to be honest, there are some things about it that scare me. But they are things that scare me because God is calling me into deeper water, into further distances and higher mountains than I've gone before, and that kind of scares me. But I'm excited because I think it's going to be good. Um, I, I also don't mind that the economy's gotten a little better. That kind of makes me smile. Um, in politics, I'm not going to bore you with politics today, but one of the most exciting things I've heard is that um, North Korea has agreed to talk to South Korea. That is like a miracle. That hasn't happened for 40-some years. So um, there's some good signs. And I, I know this world is not our home, so I'm not putting all my cards in politics or economy. But things are looking bright because I think Jesus is up to something. And uh, I just want you to continue to have the sense. It's, it's actually not a feeling. It's a decision to say, if, if he's already been in my future and he is good, then I think my future must be good, right? That's just a choice that you make based on the fact of who God is. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm thinking about, okay, in spite of all the stuff that's going well around the world, and in spite of the other areas that are still on fire, not going well, uh, what really is going to matter in 2018? I listened to Kevin's sermon that he shared last Sunday, and uh, I, I loved a couple of the one-liners he put in there where he said, um, don't live life in the rearview mirror. Live life going forward. But he qualified that. He said, don't, don't get so far out in front that you miss the present. He said, what I really want you to do is live in the now. Be present in the now. Not only present with what God's doing, but present with the people who are around you. Pay attention to what's going on and, and let your heart go out to them and be available to them. And so I'm thinking about, okay, 2018, so what really is the most important thing? And then I remember something uh, my pastor said to me once. He said, you know, the only things we take with us to heaven are our character and our relationships. Everything else stays here, even this body, thank God. <laughs> and so if that's the case, then uh, what do I want to focus on in 2018? It could be some of these things God's challenging me in and, and calling me to... to try and do and give it a shot. I mean, those are more like activities and uh, venturing into new, new areas. But uh, the activity isn't really what's going to last in heaven. It's the character and the relationship. So I hear the Lord saying, let's, let's focus this year on just getting relationships right. And I'm really surprised that one of the uh, most... Uh, poignant parts of the Bible on relationships is really not found in the New Testament. All those verses about love and forgiveness and encouragement and all that kind of stuff. It's actually in the Old Testament. and It's this thing called the Ten Commandments. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So let's hold off on that. I, I actually wanted to uh, just tell you a couple little stories before we get started. The uh, Relationships that we have on earth really get healthier as we become more secure in who we are in Christ. Would you agree? Yeah, so the more secure I am this way and less afraid of disapproval or afraid of rejection, then the more honest I can be with my fellow man. And so speaking of honesty, there was uh, this young boy who was about to be married to this girl, and so he came to visit her parents' house 
to meet the parents, and uh, her dad leaned over and asked him, well, son, um, do you think you're prepared to support a family? And he said, well, uh, well, well not exactly. I was just thinking of supporting your daughter. The rest of you are going to have to fend for yourselves. <laughs> and I thought, that's what I like about that is, you know, he maybe misunderstood the question, but he didn't have the fear of honesty. And that's the kind of relationships that we want to have. Freedom really allows us to be honest. The less free we are, the more fear we have about being honest with one another. Paul said, speak the truth in love. Those two things balance together. So I'm thinking, let's work on building our relationships and strengthening the ones we have. And I don't want to just talk about peer relationships. I really have a heart for parents and children. Elders to the youngers even grandparents to their grown children. I think this uh, generational strength is one of the things God really wants to keep developing in us and that we would not, as grown-ups, begin to divorce ourselves from our children because they're tough or they're challenging or they, they walked away from us or there's something they did that we didn't like. I think parentally to children as well as peer relationships and especially, of course, husbands and wives. Singles with singles. We, we've got to be strong in 2018 because that's what will get us through when the tough times do come, right? Relationship with him, with each other. I was at a funeral yesterday for uh, a brother who is a fellow Foursquare pastor. His name is Dave McAllister, and uh, he's pastored the Renton Highlands Foursquare Church called Celebration. Anybody here of Celebration Church? Yeah, really cool, cool ministry. There are hundreds of people there at the funeral uh, yesterday, and as I was listening to all the stories about Dave and his life and what this man meant to all of these people, the thing that really stood out to me is all, all people could say is Dave just loved his wife. Dave just loved his family. He would do anything for them. He just loved people. He would open his home and take strangers in, and they would just live with them. And he was just a lover of people. And they just said, that's what changed me. I was accepted and I was loved by, by Dave McAllister. And I thought, in fact, I came home and uh, I told Adrian and Pam, I said, I, I hope that's what my funeral's like. Because I'm not sure I'm doing that great at it. I hope people say nice things about me. Don't you? No, not about me, about you. Yeah, we should. I mean, we should kind of, we should live our lives sort of with a view of our tombstone in mind, right? What would we want to have printed on there? And what are people going to say, will anybody come <laughs> to our memorial service? So I thought, that, that's a really strong motivation for me. And I, I, I don't want to do poorly in that regard. I want to do well when it comes to my friends and my family. So before we look at the word, let me just give you kind of a, get your brain around this idea. There are basically four different kinds of people in relationships. And uh, the first one I would say, oh, how cute. I like that. Four different kinds of relationships or, or the kinds of ways people behave. First kind are those who I would call emotional infants. Those who expect other people to take care of them. I've been watching Tabby while Claire's been back in Pennsylvania, and Tabby's my two-year-old uh, granddaughter, and uh, boy, oh boy, does she expect the world to rotate around her, you know? Now, that's cute when you're two, but when you're 20, eh, not so cute, right? You don't want to be an emotional infant. Uh, they need instant gratification, then they use other people as objects to satisfy their own needs. I know that because I was resting on 
her living room floor, and Tabby just came and dove on me, just landed flat. Bam! You're my trampoline, Grandpa. That's what you do when you're two. But we're supposed to grow beyond that. Then there's what I would call emotional children. Those are those who are content only when they get what they want. And then they throw a fit when they don't. Can you see this relationally, how these things kind of play out sometimes? Uh, emotional children unravel quickly under pressure or disappointment. And they interpret disagreement as a personal offense. We don't want to remain children. We want to grow into emotional adults. Then there are emotional adolescents. There are those who tend to be defensive. Now, an adolescent is also known as a teenager. Okay, so imagine your, your nearest teenager and uh, how they tend to behave before they mature. Um, they tend to be defensive. They respond to conflict by blaming other people or appeasing or gossiping or avoidance. And they have difficulty appreciating other people's pain and disappointments, and they're super preoccupied with themselves. I was one, and that was me. How about you? Okay, but relationally, that's not helpful. What we want to become is emotional adults. Emotional adults, grown-ups, mature ones who are able to ask for what they need, clearly, calmly, directly. They take responsibility for their own feelings versus shifting blame. They can disagree without becoming adversarial, even when under stress. I like that one. How many of you find that when you have a disagreement, it turns into a fight or an argument? Not because you disagree, but because somebody gets angry and they, they get emotional about it instead of just speaking the truth in love. Uh, emotional adults respect others without having to change them. They can accurately assess their own limitations and they're able to enter other people's worlds without losing themselves. Okay, so those are the kind of things that we're going to be thinking about in these next few weeks. Is that I want to grow up into everything Christ is, and I want that to show up relationally with the people around me, beginning with my marriage, beginning with my children, and going out from there. So let's take a look at this amazing passage known as the Ten Commandments. Before we read this, just to give you a heads up, you know, this was the, the beginning of a new community. God gave birth to the Hebrew nation through one man named Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons, and then the tribes of Israel were formed, and this nation boomed into two million people. Because of a famine, they couldn't stay in Canaan land. They had to go south to Egypt, where there was still fertile ground, lots of rain and uh, a lot of generosity among the Egyptians to help them survive. So Pharaoh, at first, was kind to them, and then he died, and his replacement, Pharaoh, was not kind to the Jews. And suddenly, um, he began making them slaves, and Egypt was no longer a welcome place. And so God delivered them, as you know the story of the Exodus, out of Egypt, brought them back to their own land, and it is here on the journey back that God begins to shape this community that really only has some kind of loose oral traditions about how to behave, a few things about sacrifices, a few things about worship, and, and a few ideas about how to get along. But this is where he nails it down. He said, this is going to be your code of conduct from this day forward. This nation, this community has to remain strong and unified. And there's no way you as humans can do that unless I give you this code of conduct 
that will keep you kind of glued together because you're going to be tugged at and pulled at and warred against for the rest of your lives, and you're going to blow up if you don't have this code of conduct that glues you together. Now, you might think the Ten Commandments are kind of a stuffy, old, rigid bunch of rules that just, you know, they're outdated and just makes you all cold and hard as a person. That's not it at all. As we go through them, you're going to find that every single one of these commandments has to do with relationship. First with God, then with each other. It's fascinating. It's really like the simplest, easiest way to grow up emotionally and relationally that we've ever been... Uh, exposed to. So with that in mind, let's read. This is the message version. God spoke all these words. I am God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. No other gods, only me. No carved gods of any size, shape, or form, or anything whatever, whether of things that fly or walk or swim. Don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am God, your God, and I'm a most jealous God, punishing the children for any sins their parents pass on to them, to the third, and yes, even to the fourth generation of those who hate me. But I'm unswervingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. No using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Work six days and do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to God, your God. Don't do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your maid, nor your animals, not even the foreign guest visiting in your town. For in six days God made heaven, earth, and sea, and everything in them he rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath day. He set it apart as a holy day. Honor your father and mother so that you'll live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor, no lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. It's very practical. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. To kick this off, I think it's, it's critical that we, we understand in order to have good horizontal relationships, you have to have a good vertical one. It really, they're connected. You can't have one without the other. I'm not saying those who are not Christians or don't follow the Bible or follow God or even believe in God can't be nice people. They can. Obviously, there, there's a book, in fact, it was titled Good Without God. People trying to say, well, wait, I'm, I'm generous and I'm kind and I do things for my grandma and my neighbor. You can be kind without God, but it's always limited to a certain point. There's at some point that self-protection, selfishness takes over. Unless we have a supernatural well of generosity to draw from. And that only comes from him. He's the only source of supernatural grace and kindness, forgiveness, goodness, and love. So if you and I want to get to that next level of our personal relationships, we've got to, we've got to make sure we've got this strong vertical I don't know, you can call it like a fountain, a hose, a reverse fountain, just pouring in all the time. And so I believe that's why God started here. Don't ignore your relationship with me, he says. I, I actually was going to, what did I call this? Ten keys to healthy relationships. I was going to title it uh, Ten Ways to Ruin Your Friends. 
because it's kind of, I was going to take the opposite of the negative approach. You know, if you break this commandment, it's going to wreck everything in your relationship. So, oh, that's just too negative. Let's flip it over. So now it's 10 keys to healthy relationships. And the first one is make sure you don't ignore your relationship with God. When he said, I am God, you're God, and he said that over and over and over again to the Israelites, what he was trying to do is identify these precious Jewish people as his precious possession. He said, he said, it's not a relationship where I'm just this taskmaster, I'm just driving you to go get stuff done, and I want to take away all your fun. No, he was, he was trying to establish this father relationship. I'm your God, yes. I'm to be feared. I'm a holy, yes. I go to tops of mountains and make them blow up like volcanoes, and yes, I control the elements, and yes, I can be scary. But I only use those on certain occasions to make a point, to bring you back to the place where you'd let me love you and be your father. I want you to experience fellowship with me. Keep in mind, he's the creator, which makes us the creature, and we will never be exactly the same. He's got all the power, all the authority, and we only have limited power, limited authority. But he says, you know, in spite of the disparate qualities about the two of us, I want to be intimate with you. And he said, the reason I want this intimacy is because I want what I've got in heaven to go on between heaven and earth. What does he have going on in heaven? It's the Trinity, right? He's got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I still remember Anna Marie and Walt Scottson both gave us beautiful illustrations of the unity that goes on between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's this constant, constant agreement, constant oneness between what they're up to and what they're doing, what they think and how they feel. It's all community. It's all relationship in heaven. He said, that's what I want with you. I want intimacy and closeness. And so I, I say that because some of us are, are struggling in a relationship right now and cannot solve it. We just cannot figure out why is this not working, man? Why do we keep butting heads or we keep being estranged or we keep hurting each other? What is going on? And maybe you're reading lots of books and getting some counsel and just trying certain techniques. Can I suggest those are not bad necessarily? But if you're eliminating your relationship with him, it probably won't ever get much better. Because that's where the supernatural power is. Love beyond understanding can be poured into you. Wisdom that comes with it. So you can say, oh, I've just been given insight to something that was been a mystery to me all these years. I finally got it. Thank you, God. Or getting yourself right with him is what's going to perhaps greatly change the way you relate with this other person. He's a creator. We are the creature. He wants unity with us, the way he's got it in heaven. And uh, the other thing we need to remember is uh, he didn't create us because he had to. He wasn't like looking at his agenda that someone else wrote for him and said, okay, today create man. Oh, rats, I was hoping to kind of go this alone, you know. He didn't do it because he was obligated or he felt sorry for us. Or he didn't, he didn't send Jesus because he felt sorry for us. I mean, yeah, he, he's compassionate and all those things. He did it so we could be unified with him. He created us for fellowship, for friendship. He wanted to share the life that he experiences and the glory that he experiences. So if that's the case, we just can't, we can't ignore our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I know this is basic Christianity, but sometimes it's good to be refreshed, especially, again, if you're in a fix where things are not going well. It's not a matter of just praying. Well, I prayed about it. I told God what my problem was. 
That's great. But prayer is a two-way street. It's listening as well. Lord, what's not working? Show me. Give me insight. Father, I'm just missing something here. Let me, let me just find a verse, a paragraph, a, a book, something in your word. Speak to me, God. I need to hear because I'm not getting this. And that's the most exciting thing is when God's intimacy actually occurs and you get stuff. You go, whoa, that's awesome, God. Thank you. When you realize that God is not your taskmaster, not just one more taker, but he's actually a giver, a generous giver, and you, and you begin letting him give to you and not seeing him as someone who demands and tries to draw life out of you, that's when you begin to feel secure. Um, the second half of this verse is interesting. Speaking of security, he says, don't make friends with those who don't really love you. He says, I'm God, you're God, who did what? I brought you out of a land of basically bondage. Yeah, it started off well, nice Pharaoh when you started, mean Pharaoh when you left. I rescued you because I hated you being in slavery. They did not care for you like the first Pharaoh did. They used you. And I was tired of seeing you being used and abused. And, and everything about the relationship between Egypt and you was they were the takers, you were always the givers. You know there's an unhealthy relationship when you begin to sense that this one person always wins and this one person always loses. Or this one's always serving and this one's always being served. Roles reverse. When you feel like it's always going one direction, you know it's an unhealthy relationship. But humans are funny. We'll, we'll get ourselves into those things because we desperately need something, some kind of interaction, even if it's kind of a sick one. That's how abuse happens, sadly. Being alone is more frightening than staying in the abusive relationship for some. But it's still unhealthy, as you know. So we want to be people who don't make friends with those who don't really love us, don't really care about us. God said, if I don't intervene, you're going to be in Egypt forever. The Egyptians are not going to change your mind and suddenly become nice. They're going to use you and abuse you for as long as they possibly can. And as long as you're there, you're toast. So he wanted to remind them, I'm the one that brought you out. I was interested in your freedom. It wasn't just you and the pain you were in. That started the ball rolling, and I came and got you. But it was my compassion for you. So when you think about that, when you recognize, okay, God has come after me and still coming after me to deliver me from my slavery, from my bondage, little pockets of my life that are still not under his control, and I'm still sort of enslaved to them. He's doing that because he wants us to experience true security, true safety. A couple of weeks ago, I, I said something that I listened to later on on the CD, and I, I thought to myself, I said that? That was cool. Wow, I don't remember it, and I don't even, it just jumped out at me until someone came back and said, that was a great quote, Alex. I didn't write it down. I don't know where it came from, but here's what it was. It was, don't pursue the artificial safety of the approval of man. Pursue the presence of God where you're truly safe. That's what we have to do. But recognize there's always a battle, man, seeking the approval of man versus the approval of God. I heard this cool story. Uh, there's uh, a kid who was in class, and his parents were teaching him to tell the truth. Son, I want you to be secure enough to be honest. Just tell the truth, no matter what. So the kid's sitting in school one day, and um, he's talking to his dad afterwards, and he tells his dad the story. Our teacher asked what my favorite animal was, and I said, fried chicken. She said, that was not funny. But she couldn't have been right because everybody else laughed. 
My parents told me to always tell the truth, and I did. Fried chicken is my favorite animal. I told my dad what happened, and he said, my teacher was probably a member of PETA. <laughs> he said, they love animals very much. I do too, especially chicken, pork, and beef too. Anyway, my teacher sent me to the principal's office. I told him what happened, and he laughed too. And then he told me, don't do it again. The next day in class, my teacher asked me what my favorite live animal was. And I told her it was chicken. <laughs> and she asked me why. So I told her it's because you can make them into fried chicken. <laughs> she sent me back to the principal's office. He laughed again and told me, don't do that again. So I don't understand. My parents taught me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't like it when I am. So today, my teacher asked us which famous person we admire the most, and I told her, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Guess where I am now? I think it's the cutest story. I love it. You don't get that kind of honesty among grown-ups, generally speaking, right? We're just a little too careful, and, it's, and rightfully so. We need to use tact and be diplomatic and those kind of things. But sometimes, um, we're... we're we're operating out of too much painful history that constantly comes back up when we're in a tense situation or, or we're challenged to speak the truth and we uh, got memories of how it didn't go so well last time. And um, that begins to fade. The beautiful thing is that really, that fear of man really begins to fade the more we recognize God has pursued me hotly, flat out come after me for the very purpose of setting me free from my fears, from my slavery, from my bondage. And when I secure vertically, suddenly everything changes this way. It's really cool. And I'll, I'll just speak by personal example. Um, I love telling personal stories just to help you bridge the gap between, well, what you might call laity and clergy. We're all just Christians. We all just have different jobs. Some of us talk better than others. That's the only difference. But we all struggle with the exact same things. Would you agree? I'm glad about that. So I like to tell personal stories because I just want you to have a, a, an encouraging and hopeful pursuit of the things of God, recognizing you may not be perfect in your pursuit, but guess what? Neither am I. But you can get there. You can get there step by step by step. So I've introduced a, a couple of things that happen around our house with our kids and with my marriage and those sort of things. And, and uh, every now and then, the girls or my wife says, honey, never again. I really would prefer it if you asked me for permission to tell that story next time. So I've learned I'm going to ask permission next time. So I have no stories for you today. Just want you to know, because I want to honor my wife and my children. But the fact is, we're all the same. We all struggle with the same things. And our Heavenly Father says, I, I really want you to just enjoy this coming year with a richness and a closeness with your fellow man your fellow family members, your fellow Christians and non-Christians alike. I really want you to enjoy the riches of what love and truth and honesty and safety and openness can be like in this coming year. But you've got to start with these first two things. God first. Safety, security in Him second. And then we'll begin to work in our relationships with one another. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that your word is simple, but powerful and life-changing. And I ask, Lord, that you would encourage us 
this week, Lord, to remember that uh, before we have that conversation with the boss at work or the fellow worker at the office, before we have time to become nervous and stressed about it, Lord, that you'd remind us to talk to you first and ask you for wisdom and help and grace. That you'd help us remember that we are loved, we are being pursued, we are being set free even now in your Son. And Lord, help us to yield to that, to submit to that, not be afraid or not be too proud or too self-sufficient, but just to be real and say, look, I may be pretty amazing, but I'm not God. And help us acknowledge our need for you, Lord, this week. And then we pray that there would just be visible outcomes in the way our conversations go, the way our confrontations are resolved, the way our disagreements are handled, the way our emotions are kept in check this week, Father. We just pray that you would just help us experience just great outcomes, Father, visible, memorable moments where it just goes different this time because of the grace of your Son. And while we're at it, while we're praying, if you are in a place where you haven't really been close to the Lord lately and you'd like to come back to Him, He says, I'll take you back at a heartbeat. He'll forgive you in an instant. He'll consider the past the past, over, gone, done. Your future beginning now in the present is bright as can be because He's still got it for you. He hasn't discarded it. If you'd like to return to the Lord this morning and you just want to kind of make a, a move, like Kevin said, toward him, I'd be delighted if you would raise your hand or look up at me or something like that and just say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to do that. So I'm just going to look around. If you want to raise your eyes or raise your hand either way, yes, sir, good. God bless you. Yes, ma'am, very good. God bless you. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Father, for these that acknowledged they want to run back to you. Papa, I ask that you would just drench them right now in the sense of your mercy, your kindness, your goodness. Let them experience your wide open arms ready to embrace them and bring them back. All sin forgiven, all distance narrowed down to zero. Hearts united once again. Let them experience that with you, Jesus. We thank you for all these things. In your mighty name we pray. The church said? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming, and we will see you next Sunday.